You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of the sermon today is called Sir, Yes, Sir. Sir, Yes, Sir. The first shot of the Revolutionary War was shot on April 19th, 1775. The war ended... The Revolutionary War ended on September 3rd, 1783. But we don't celebrate the day that the Americans decided to take up arms and shoot the first bullet. And we don't celebrate the day that the British finally decided to end the war and surrender and grant our independence. We celebrate July 4th based off of July 4, 1776, when the Americans decided it was time to declare our freedom. We weren't waiting around for our enemy to grant us our freedom or to tell us that we were free. At this point in time, when we wrote and declared and signed the Declaration of the Independence, we were already six months into the war. Men and women had already died. We were already fighting. Bullets were already being shot. We were in the middle of the war, and in the middle of the war, our founding fathers decided, today is the day I'm done. We're going to declare our freedom in the middle of this war, and we're going to start acting like we are free, although they still had a battle to fight, a war to win, all the way until September 3rd, 1783, they had already decided and declared by using their voice, we are a free nation. And that is the day that we celebrate, not the day that the British said, all right, we'll back off, you can have your freedom. No, no, no. We decided we're free today, and we're going to celebrate that day of freedom from this point forward. So I want to encourage you today as we read a passage of Scripture that in the middle of the war, the middle of your struggle, in the middle of whatever season you're in, is the time to declare your freedom. Because you became free when God declared it. And when did God declare that you were free? Is when Jesus was on the cross 2,000 years ago and he yelled out as his last uh, ability in his lungs, he yelled out, it is finished. And I tell you this all the time, that it's important to read what the Bible says, but it's also important to read what the Bible doesn't say. And Jesus on the cross, as he's taking on all the sin of the world, as he's taking all the sickness of the world, as he's taking on all the punishment of the world, he yells out, it is finished. That's what the Bible says. What the Bible does not say is that God stopped him at that moment and said, no, it's not. It's not finished yet. God did not say, no, you're wrong, Jesus. There's still more that humanity has to do. Apparently to God, when Jesus declared it is finished, the people are free from death, hell, and the grave, God was silent, which means God was compliant and agreed with what his son had done. It was the one be-all sacrifice to bring freedom to the people, to bring people, to bring freedom to humanity. And that is when God decided 
and God declared that you were free. That's when God decided that enough was enough. The price had been paid. And if you believe on what his son did, then the scripture is true. He that the son sets free is free indeed. And that we're going to look at a passage deep in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, verse 37. We're going to pull two truths out of it today. That'll help you, I believe, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your war, in the middle of your battle, whatever you're going through. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. And he, it's capitalized, so it's God speaking, said to me, this is Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? So I, being the prophet Ezekiel, answered, O Lord God, you know. In verse 4, again, God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We have a prophet coming in seven days. Thursday, the last, last Thursday and this Thursday, we've been talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to finish this Thursday talking about the ninth gift of the Spirit, which will be prophecy to prepare us for the prophet that is coming. And God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, prophesy to these dry bones and let them hear the word of the Lord. How are they supposed to hear the word of the Lord unless the prophet Ezekiel has to use his voice to speak over them? And so the first truth we're going to pull out of this to help you, I believe, is get your marching orders. Get your marching orders. The beginning of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, verse 1, backing up verses 1 and 2 so we can see what's going on. The hand of the Lord came upon me. This is the prophet Ezekiel. He's talking. He says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So this is a dream. This is a vision where he brings him and he set me down in the midst of the valley. Well, if God's taking me somewhere, he should take me to the top of the mountain. He should bring me somewhere to the Garden of Eden. But where God brings him is in the midst of the valley. And it's not full of life. It's not full of trees and greens and shrubberies and vegetables and fruits. It was full of bones. Verse 2 says, then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. Now, God is showing the prophet Ezekiel something specific in regards to the children of Israel. There's more to the story, and you can read in Ezekiel 37 the full breakdown of what this all entails. But a lot of times in life, we find ourselves... In the same place that Ezekiel finds himself, not in the mountain, not in the peaks, not at the highest points of life, but we find ourselves in the valleys. We find ourselves in the low spots. We find ourselves in the dark spots. And in those, they're full of bones. We thought this was going to work out. We thought that was going to work out, and it wasn't. It didn't. And here we are in this valley with no cell phone reception 
and it's full of bones. But the scripture here, and God wants to make sure that you know that they're dry bones. It's something that has been there for a long time. But God didn't bring him there just to see and say, woe is me. But he brought him there with a purpose. And he gave him marching orders. And he told him what to do. That just because you're in a valley, you might not have reception. God still wants to speak to you. Adam and Eve sin. They find out that they're naked. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. They try to fashion some clothes together. And instead of being in the Garden of Eden, in the middle where God meets them and talks to them, it says they go hide in the bushes. And God does not leave them there in the middle of the bushes. He goes looking for them. Adam, where are you? Adam, we meet here every time, every day. Where are you at? It wasn't God that was hiding from man. It was man that was hiding from God. And it's the same thing that we do in our own lives. When we feel like there's a lull in our lives, when we feel like we're in the valley, when we feel like we're dry and dusty and we're tired and we're weary, what we do is just like Adam, we go and hide. But God wants to show up in the middle of that and he wants to give you marching orders to get out of it. He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to deal with it. He wants you to overcome it. Indeed, they were very dry. And Jeremiah, another prophet, Jeremiah chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the middle of the prison. Prophet Jeremiah has been arrested and he's placed in the middle of the prison. And God doesn't run away from him. God doesn't hide from him. God doesn't say, well, I can't get over those walls. Do you see how thick they are? Do you see all the soldiers? In the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the frustration, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the prison, God shows up with marching orders. Saying in verse 2, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> Call to me and you'll get my voicemail. Call to me and I'll send you an email in two to three business days. In the middle of the prison, God shows up and gives marching orders to the prophet. And he says, call to me and I will answer you. And not only will I answer you, I'm going to show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He shows up to Ezekiel, dry bones all around in the middle of the valley, and he gives him marching orders. Speak to these dry bones. Let them hear the word of the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah is in the middle of the prison. And God shows up and says, call to me and I will answer you. Not only will I answer you, but I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you've never seen, you've never heard before. Well, how does that apply to my life? I love that you asked that question. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
It gets better because God is a good God. God is a loving God, and God wants to bless you more than you even know how much he wants to bless you. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. We see the prophets speaking in Ezekiel. We see the prophets speaking in Jeremiah. We see the prophets speaking in Isaiah. He spoke in various times throughout history. He used prophets to speak to the fathers. But look at verse 2. Has in these last days spoken to us, that's you and me, by his son. Praise God. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So now God wants to speak to you directly through his son by placing the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is saying in John that he wants to lead you and guide you into all truth. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is only going to say things that's going to point you back to Jesus. And God says, I've used man before to speak to all the fathers about what to do and where to go and all those things. But now, in these last days, I'm going to use the man, the last man, the last Adam, and I'm going to let him speak to you, and he's going to tell you of what to do and where to go. Get your marching orders. There was a soldier by the name of Alvin York, the most decorated soldier in World War I. This was a man who was born in Tennessee, a country man, grew up hunting, fishing, got caught up in drinking and doing dumb stuff. But on January 1st, 1915, 1915, he got saved. Right around the time World War I was starting, America was getting pulled into it, he got saved. And like a good... American boy, he went down and registered for the draft. But he had read in his Bible. He had never been churched. He had never learned anything, but he got radically saved. He got touched by God. He started reading the Bible. And in the Bible, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. As an American boy, he said, You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to register for the draft. Well, obviously, he got picked to go to the war. And he told the army that he was not going to fight. It was against his religious beliefs. He didn't think killing people was right. So he ended up going to boot camp, and they were talking to him, and they were trying to encourage him. And it was on Wikipedia. I don't remember the name of the guy, but there was a guy, a general, that was from Augusta, Georgia, who was one of his superiors, who told him, I'm going to give you 10 days. You go home, and you think about it, you pray about it, and you figure out, if you're supposed to go to war or not. So he went home for 10 days and he prayed and he got an answer from God. And he came back 10 days later and he told the military, I'm going to go and fight. I believe that God wants me to go and fight and that God is going to keep me safe during World War I. So he goes, he gets involved in the war and the thing that brought him to stardom, the thing that made him this amazing soldier that made him the most decorated soldier was on October 8th, 1918. There was a major battle between the Americans and the Germans on this hill. And they're supposed to go take this hill that's full of, it's a machine gun nest. It's full of machine guns. 
and they're supposed to go take it, and, it's, and, and they're obviously mowing down the Americans. They have the high ground. They have better uh, uh, weaponry, and they're winning. And something inside of Alvin York changed at that moment because he saw his friends, he saw his fellow soldiers, and he decided that he was going to do something about it. So he charges this machine gun nest, and he starts attacking the German soldiers. And by the end of this battle, he has taken over 35 machine guns. He's killed 25 Germans, and he's taken over 130 German prisoners off of that mountain. At one point in time, one of the high-ranking German uh, soldiers is getting so mad that they're losing him and a couple other guys start running down the hill. They see Alvin York, and he points his pistol at him, and he unloads his magazine in Alvin York's direction, and he does not get hit by one of those bullets. Probably a terrible shot. But as soon as he unloaded the pistol, and it says that German commander looked around and saw the chaos of the situation, he decided to surrender. And he saw that he tried to shoot this man and the bullets did not hit him. And because of this, he got the distinguished cross of service or whatever it's called, but they upgraded it to the Medal of Honor for what he did. He wrote and he journaled a lot during his time at war. And this is what he wrote about that day. And those machine guns were spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me, something awful. And the Germans were yelling orders. You never heard such a racket in all your life. I didn't have time to dodge behind a tree or dive into the brush. As soon as the machine guns opened fire on me, I began to exchange shots with them. There were over 30 of them, 30 machine guns. There were over 30 of them in continuous action. And all I could do was touch the Germans off as fast as I could. I was sharpshooting. All the time, I kept yelling at them to come down. I didn't want to kill any more than I had to, but it was they or I, and I was giving them the best that I had. You see, he got marching orders, not just from the military, but he got marching orders from God. It didn't sound right. It didn't fit in with what he thought or what he believed. But he found himself in the middle of the war. He found himself in the middle of the battle. And God showed up and provided the same thing he told him to do. God told him to go fight and I'll keep you safe. He says, I'll go fight. And he was kept safe. God's going to tell you to do some crazy things. But you've got to get your marching orders from him. He finds himself, Ezekiel finds himself in the middle of a valley with dry bones and he could have sat down and said, well, this stinks, this is gross, this is nasty, I don't want to do this. But God gave him marching orders in the middle of that. Prophesy over these bones and let them hear the word of the Lord. God spoke and gave marching orders to Jeremiah, who's in the middle of a prison. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things. That we have to learn to have this conversation with God. 
Yes, it's important for us to talk to him and tell him what's going on and the frustrations that we have and the things going on, but it's also important to stop and listen to what he has to say because he wants to give you the marching orders in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the frustration. When you think God has abandoned you, God is there to speak to you and tell you where to go and what to do. You might not understand what God is saying or doing, but you need to hear him so you can know how to obey. Sir, yes, sir. And the second truth we're going to pull out of this is it's time to fight with your voice. I've got to get the marching orders from God, and then I've got to fight with my voice. Can these bones live? Which is a crazy question. What do you mean, can they live? They're bones. There's nothing left. Not only that, they're dry bones. They've been there a long time. They're rusting, deteriorating, and disappearing. It's a valley full of bones. I don't know what piece goes to what piece. The ear bone's connected to the shoulder bone. The knee bone's connected to the neck bone. I don't know how to put these back together. What do you mean, God? Only you know if these bones can live. He says, well, prophesy to them. Let these bones hear the word of the Lord. And how are they going to hear the word of the Lord? Doesn't say that Ezekiel gets a boombox, puts on a Hillsong CD. Here you go, bones. Listen to the CD. He doesn't turn on Facebook and hear our live stream and plays it for the bones. No, he's the only one standing in that chaos. And God says, somebody's got to speak so these bones will live. In Ezekiel verse, chapter 37, verses 7. So Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I was given the marching orders and then I decided that I was going to obey them. Sir, yes, sir. It's crazy. How are these bones going to live? How are they going to come back together? How is my life going to be fixed? How is my finances going to be restored? How is my marriage going to work? How is this going to happen? He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, as I fought with my voice, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. And verse 8 says, do I have verse 8 there? Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And you can read verse 9. We don't have it up there. But then God says, prophesy again, and prophesy that there's breath in them. In verse 10, he said, all right, well, You did this one miracle. I didn't think it would happen to begin with, so I'll do it again. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. And they weren't just peasants. They weren't just servants. They weren't just ordinary people with all those bones. And they stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. It didn't make sense to Ezekiel, didn't make sense to Jeremiah, didn't make sense to a lot of people in the Bible when God commanded and told them to do something. Moses, put your staff out over the Red Sea. Okay, well. And the Red Sea split. Build an ark, because it's going to rain, and it's going to flood. And Noah's going, 
Well, in our new dictionary of 3 BC, I've never heard the word flood. I've never heard the word rain. That's not a real word. That doesn't even exist. He says, build a boat big enough because I'm going to show you how real it is. God will tell you to do some crazy things so that you can't do it on your own and that he can show up and show out through you so he gets all the glory. He's going to give you marching orders, even in the middle of your chaos, even in the middle of whatever you're dealing with right now. And it's your job to say, sir, yes, sir. I don't understand it. I don't know what it means, but I heard you speak, and therefore I'm going to obey, and I'm going to fight with my voice. So I prophesied as I was commanded. We'll talk about this on Thursday, but I'll bring it to you now. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is now writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, But he who prophesies speaks doom and gloom. He who prophesies speaks judgment. He who prophesies speaks evil. No, no, no. A now new covenant Christian who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So if you're scared of what the prophet is going to say on Sunday, this is what he's going to say. Whether you get a personal word or a word for the church, he's going to bring edification to us. He's going to bring exhortation to us, and he's going to bring comfort. The word of the Lord brings comfort to men. In verse 4, it says, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. So if you speak in tongues, you should be speaking in tongues a bunch, because who doesn't like to edify themselves? But he who prophesies edifies the church. That's why we have a prophet, the position of prophet in Ephesians chapter 4, so that he can come and edify the church. That's why he's coming here, to edify us, to encourage us, to comfort us. That word prophecy in the original text means to prophesy, to be a prophet, to speak forth by divine inspiration or to predict. But there's another definition of prophecy. It means to utter forth. It means to declare a thing. It means a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. You might be sitting there today saying, I don't know how to prophesy. I've never prophesied. I've never operated in the gift of prophecy. I am not a prophet. I do not operate in that position of being a prophet. That's okay. Because you have a Bible in your hand that is full of prophecies that you can declare over your life, that you can speak and fight the good fight of faith by declaring the word of God over your situation and watching it change. Well, I've never heard God speak. Well, God wants to speak to you. But if you haven't heard his voice, then get in the book and see what he's saying to you. And the more you read the book, the more prophetic things you find out. And the more you hear his voice and you see how he talks to his people and how he loves his people, which as you walk throughout your life and your journey in life, you'll start hearing him speak to you. If you're dealing with sickness in your body, then it's time to prophesy healing over your body. Jesus sent his word. It says God sent his word and it healed us of all destruction. Jesus went about doing good at all, healing all who is oppressed by the devil. If you're lacking peace in your life, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. There are your marching orders. 
Start speaking and fighting the Word of God over your life and watch your life change. Come out of that valley. Come out of that war. Come out of that battle. Come out of that chaos. Jesus in Matthew is sleeping in a boat. Passed out. He's tired from ministry. And a storm blows through. And these disciples, majority of them fishermen who have been on that boat, who have been on that Sea of Galilee, time and time again, all of a sudden start freaking out. And water is coming in the boat. The boat is sinking. The storm is intense. They're bailing water out. And they go and wake up Jesus and they say, do you care at all about us? Because we're all about to die. Jesus does not wake up and say, oh my God, this is a good, I guess, oh myself, this is a terrible storm. And then get up and walk on the water away from the storm. Well, I'll see y'all later. I can walk on water. Hopefully y'all can too. I'm getting away. Jesus does not show up and start bailing water with them. What are you doing, Peter? Get a bitter, bigger bucket. What are we doing? There's water everywhere. Jesus wakes up and he starts fighting with his voice. He doesn't call down angels from heaven. He says, no, 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 I'll fix it, and I'll fix it right now in the middle of the storm. Peace be still. And the situation changed. And all of a sudden, all the wind, all the chaos, all the water, all the noise goes quiet. What if that happened in your life, in your situation right now? Peace be still. All the thoughts, all the emotions, all the frustrations, all the insecurities, all the voices that are yelling. What if they were all quiet and the peace of God moved in and resolved whatever it was that was going on? This is not a pie in the sky dream. This can happen and this can happen right now when you get your marching orders from God and you start fighting with your voice. Today, something changes. Today, I'm going to prophesy to my situation. Today, I'm going to believe that I'm going to exhort myself. I'm going to edify myself. I'm going to speak the word of God and watch my situation change. As I finish, I want to read a bit of a famous speech of a man who spoke these words on March 23rd, 1775, by the name of Patrick Henry, which you've heard before. But it's very fitting, kind of, to your own personal situation if you're dealing with an enemy attacking and fighting you. Patrick Henry says, and I'll just read a short, not the whole speech. He starts by saying, they tell us, sir, that we are weak. Unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be next week? Or next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusion phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature has placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force, 
which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destiny of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. In the last little paragraph that he has that we know and we've heard before. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is that gentleman wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. In the middle of the war, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of the storm, as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now's not the time to give up. Now's not the time to quit fighting. Patrick Henry asked, are we going to get weaker in a week? Are we going to get stronger in a year? Are we going to finally get a backbone and stand up to the devil? Are we finally going to get a backbone and stand up against this sickness, this disease, this thing that's coming against us? When is the moment and the time to be free? I say right now, give me liberty or give me death. That God wants to give you marching orders right now in the middle of your struggle. And he's not telling you something to condemn you, to make fun of you, to make you feel bad. He's telling you to bring you out of it and bring you into your freedom. Sir, yes, sir. And at the end of Ezekiel 37, verses 13 and 14, God is speaking. And God says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, even in the middle of graves, even in the middle of your death, God still wants to show up and he still wants to help you. Verse 14 says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. I'll take you out of that valley of dry bones. I'll take you out of that storm. I'll take you out of that and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that the Lord has spoken and he performed it says the Lord. God doesn't do something that he doesn't want, that he hasn't already done. God is not going to make you do something that he hasn't already done. He gave himself marching orders, and then he went and fought with his voice. And he's encouraging you and me to do that today. Amen. Let's stand up as we get ready to go and celebrate our 4th of July weekend. We have... Some cold treats for you as well, some ice cream and popsicles that we want to bless y'all with as y'all head out today, because it's a hot one. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us. You want to talk to us. You want to teach us. 
Father, each and every person is going through something in their lives. Each and every person here is frustrated about something in their lives, that they, they have something that they feel is beating them, that's attacking them, that's coming against them. And Father, instead of worrying about that, what we're going to look to, what we're going to focus on is hearing your voice, getting your marching orders, having a conversation with you. And God is saying, am I big enough? Am I strong enough to bring you through that? Am I strong enough to help you overcome that? Am Am I loving enough to pull you out of that situation? He's asking you today. So, Father, I ask you to speak to your people. Let them hear your voice. They can hear the marching orders that you have for them. And, Father, give us the willpower. Give us the strength. Give us the faith. Give us the grace to say, yes, sir. I'll do what you say. I'll fight with my voice. I'll say what you have me to say. I'll do what you tell me to do. I might need to change the way I talk. I might need to change the way that I'm thinking. I might need to let go of some things. I might need to pick up some things. But speak, Lord. We're listening today. Encourage us today. As we lay our heads on our pillows tonight, as we're getting ready to go to bed, that is the perfect time, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and remind us of this sermon, to remind us of what you're telling us, to remind us of the next steps of what we're supposed to do. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Because we want to see a change in our lives. We don't want to stay in the valley of dry bones. We don't want to stay in the middle of the storm, constantly trying to bail out this water out of our lives. We don't want to deal with the battle. We want to stay in prison. We want to come out and have victory and be victorious because that's what you want us to do and that's who you want us to be. Father, I ask you to bless these people. I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. I prophesy over them now that they have the mind of Christ. I prophesy over them now that their body is the temple of the Most High God, and they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. I prophesy over them right now that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city, and they're blessed in the field. Everything they put their hands to prospers because the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, I prophesy over them that they are the salt and light of the earth, that everywhere they go, they diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Everywhere that they go, miracles, signs, and wonders follow them because they are the believers. They desire the gifts, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit follow them. The fruit of the Spirit follow them everywhere that they go. Father, I thank you for these people. Protect them, bless them, cause them to prosper in everything they do this weekend and going into this week and bring them back safely the next time they are here at the service. Father, thank you for this country. Bless the United States of America. Keep your hand upon us and help us be that shining light to change this nation back towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Happy 4th. Get some ice cream on the way out and we'll see y'all. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.